This is Unfiltered, episode 319 for July 27th, 2020. Federal agents descended on Portland, Oregon almost three weeks ago, arresting protesters there since at least July 5th. They started their operation at the federal courthouse and slowly expanded it into the city itself, rounding up protesters and throwing them in unmarked vans. Last night, a group of moms known as the Wall of Moms, these women in yellow shirts, wearing helmets and goggles, along with a group of fathers, arrived to cheers, and then they linked to arms to protect the protesters. But that didn't stop the federal agents from using tear gas to disperse them overnight. Tear gas. Hello, friends, and welcome into your protest pivoting podcast, episode 319 of your unfiltered program. My name is Chris, and it's a special out of cycle episode to sort of zoom in on a topic that's needed a little more attention over the last few weeks. And I'm just kind of starting to get my feet back under me from the 50-day road trip that I went on. And one of the things I did not expect was this process of chewing on how to talk to you about some of my experiences. I don't think I've actually sorted it all out yet. I mean, it's still kind of new, like, I'm just kind of getting myself sorted again. The bugs are still kind of fresh on Lady Jupes' windshield. But at a high level, there are a series of conversations that I found myself involved in or maybe overheard. Uh, I'm not a big, rando, stranger conversationalist, but down south, it is much more common for humans to acknowledge each other's existence. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, we just kind of pretend like nobody exists. We just sort of look down at the ground, walk by. You might do the stiff smile. You know the stiff smile. <laughs> I just did it as if you could see me. Um, but it's different. Even in Montana, it was different. People want to have conversations. And even now that I'm back here in Washington, my wife yesterday was approached by somebody who was making a comparison to wearing face masks to the Holocaust and started talking about Jeffrey Epstein to her and weaving it all together. And it struck me that this is something that I noticed on the entire trip. I was approached by people, or I would overhear, in a lot of cases, <laughs> conversations I'd be eavesdropping for the show, for the show. Um, and I have noticed, and maybe you have seen this as well, that there is a new form of conspiracy theorist out there. Someone who maybe hasn't been following the news for the last decade, but has recently started to piece some stuff together. They're like average informed people, but they're not super plugged into the news cycle. And now they seem to have like their own news track. I'm not even sure what it might be. Infowars in some cases. And it seems like maybe their lack of being completely informed on the details has played a role in what I'm about to tell you. But um, I'll give you an example of one that I overheard when I was uh, chilling in a uh, hot spring, as it were, in Bozeman, Montana. It was a Thursday night. I remember it because it was the only night I got to go do a late night soak. It was after sunset and I could see the Neowise Comet. So it's pretty special. And they got cool colored LED lights and the pools are steaming. And as I was moving around the pool trying to find the sweet spot, I overheard an older gentleman who was really schooling this younger kid, maybe like mid-20s, uh, who was there with his wife. Separate. They weren't, they weren't the old guy and the kid weren't there together. Uh, I use kid generically here. 
just in comparison to their ages. I'd say this older gentleman was probably near 70. And I, I overheard quite the narrative. And it wasn't the first time I'd heard a version of this. Really, since the coronavirus started, I've heard some really interesting conspiracy theories that try to tie the last 10 years of events together. And this older gentleman, according to him, was telling this kid that viruses aren't real. There's no such thing as an actual infectious virus. Viruses are collections of junk in your body that your body's getting rid of, according to him. This is what he's telling this kid. And he says the reason why the coronavirus is getting people sick is because they have encapsulated, he didn't say who they were, Fukushima radiation. COVID-19 is dangerous because it contains Fukushima radiation, according to him, which is activated by the 5G towers in a system designed by China. And, and that's just a slice. I, I heard all kinds of different events from the last 10 years be strung together in one, what seems to them, cohesive narrative that explains all of this. And I got the sense in both the conversations that I had and the ones that I overheard, these individuals didn't really follow the news at the time. I never really had that sense. And when you look back at things in, in the past, like say now we look back at the JFK assassination or the moon landing, it's really easy to pull out these inconsistencies because things are really crazy when stuff's going down and paper over some of the gaps and build a narrative. It's very, very easy. And that is what seems to be happening. And I think there's a bit of a motivation when I have these conversations. What I hear is in the back of their mind, a, a pattern matching system that's looking for consistency to tie everything together. We have a maybe a powerful motive to weave a narrative of conspiracy that we don't even realize. And sometimes the worst part is some of this stuff is real. Like, look at the stuff Edward Snowden exposed and the military secrets that come out years later about crazy tests that were done on troops or on city populations. Some of this stuff is real. But sometimes we want to draw these narratives, like from Fukushima. So this guy has an idea that since Fukushima all the way to now is all a big Chinese plot to take over the country. And there could be elements of truth. Maybe uh, Chinese officials did suppress the information about COVID. Maybe Japanese officials did blow the Fukushima response at first that you could, you could, you could ascribe motivation to, perhaps. But I think the motivation also to ascribe that comes from the sense that it's a little better in a way, if you think about this, if jo George Soros, George, if George Soros or the Rothschilds or whoever it might be, has total control over this. If they're secretly pulling the levers on COVID and on, on things like reactor meltdowns, if somebody's in control of that, that means they weren't random events. If they are just random events that was under no one's control, that's a lot scarier if you think about it. Because that implies a cold, uncaring, random universe that's totally outside our control if you really think about that, that's a lot scarier than some billionaire wrecking things. So I think there's motivation to build these narratives. And because sometimes they work out to be true, it sort of adds fuel to that fire. But these older conspiracies aren't really so much going away as they're being congealed 
into something more like a through line through history that doesn't really stand up to scrutiny most often. But if you're not really familiar with the events, I think you could get swept away by it. And because it's inherently more comfortable to think that there's somebody at the wheel, I think we have a bias to buy into them. So I want to talk about the protests because it's in with a bit of that background that I think we have to talk about these protests that have been going on. This is something that I haven't been able to chat about a lot the last three weeks. And in the Seattle area, we saw a lot of things happen from Chaz and Chop to the continued protests that have gone on now for since basically 60 days since as I released this episode, since George Floyd died, the protests have never stopped. And it's been ongoing and getting more and more violent. So I, I want to give you some context to all of this. The way we build narratives, the way we confirm them, but additionally, the really no-win scenario I think we find ourselves in right now. We're Kobayashi Marooing the nation. It's a Star Trek reference for you. You have protesters who have legitimate concerns. There are fundamental, rotten, structural issues about our society. Inequality and racism are one of many. It's pretty, pretty imbalanced. And something has to give eventually. And in some of these areas, like Portland and Seattle, some of this stuff's really been rolling since Occupy Wall Street, just at various levels. On the other end, you have the reality that these things are getting more and more violent. And you have a president who wants to be the law and order candidate. So you have genuine societal structural issues on one side. And you have a federal government who's unwilling to tolerate violence on the other side. And there doesn't seem to be much room for either side to give. Meanwhile, everybody has their own narrative about what's actually going on. So let's start with that context, July 22nd, on President Trump's announcement. My first duty as president is to protect the American people. And today I'm taking action to fulfill that sacred obligation. In recent weeks, there has been a radical movement to defund, dismantle, and dissolve our police departments. Extreme politicians have joined this anti-police crusade and relentlessly vilified our law enforcement heroes. To look at it from any standpoint, the effort to shut down Policing in their own communities has led to a shocking explosion of shootings, killings, murders, and heinous crimes of violence. This bloodshed must end. This bloodshed will end. Today, I'm announcing a surge of federal law enforcement into American communities plagued by violent crime. We'll work every single day to restore public safety, protect our nation's children, and bring violent perpetrators to justice. We've been doing it, and you've been seeing what's happening all around the country. We've just started this process, and frankly, we have no choice but to get involved. As a nearly 80-year-old man, I do buy that he hates to see the cities destroyed, damaged, statues toppled, destroyed, etc. But I have an overruling philosophy about Trump. It's sort of how I view a lot of his actions. And that is, it's always about Trump. And Trump is chomping at the bit to send tens of thousands of federal police into the streets 
which is a huge constitutional issue and a very dangerous precedent. The scene in Portland comes as the president announces a surge of federal officers into U.S. cities, including Chicago, for a different reason, to fight crime and gun violence. On Fox News last night, the president said he's willing to send more federal law enforcement personnel into cities, but he acknowledged he'd need the green light from the states. If they invited us in, we'd go in with 50,000, 75,000 people. We would be able to solve it like you wouldn't believe and quick. Oh, yeah, like you wouldn't believe. This is what we're on the verge of. And the problem is, these protests are not peaceful. Some of them start that way, some of them remain that way. But most of them, in Seattle and Portland, in the evenings, get very violent. Protest deemed a riot in Seattle. It started on a peaceful note, with thousands standing in solidarity with other Black Lives Matter protests. But soon, things took a more violent turn. Police say the protesters sent rocks, bottles, and explosives raining down on officers. They responded with force of their own in the form of flash grenades and pepper spray. Laura McQuillan tracking the story for us all morning. Laura, what can you tell us? Yeah, John, police say there were at least 45 arrests up until 10 p.m. last night, but uh, things continued into the night, so we're waiting to hear if there may have been more people taken into custody after what you saw just there. Also, 21 police officers injured in that. We don't know any numbers on how many protesters might also have been injured, but as you mentioned, this did begin as a peaceful march in solidarity with those protesters in Portland uh, who have been railing against the federal intervention with these tactical teams sent in to Portland uh, at the Trump administration's uh, really push because they say that local leaders, local law enforcement in uh, Portland are not taking things seriously enough when it comes to... You can hear the framing here. It's being framed as if the violence has only occurred since the federal agents arrived. It's definitely escalated. But it's been going on for nearly 60 days. Say that local leaders, local law enforcement in uh, Portland are not taking things seriously enough when it comes to quelling unrest. So that's some of what you saw in Seattle last night. Uh, police said they did not use tear gas, but rather they used flash grenades and pepper spray. And protesters were, as you see there, uh, they set a youth detention facility under construction on fire in part. Uh, a Starbucks very badly damaged. Other damage elsewhere, rocks, bricks and explosives, police say, were thrown at officers. All of this unfolding throughout the evening, and now we are hearing from the protesters they do plan to uh, stage another protest today. This weekend's been a hell of a weekend for the protests, and we kind of knew going into it it would be a, a bad one. Uh, they were preparing downtown for it a couple of days in advance. It's peaceful protesters until it's not, and it doesn't take a lot of people to turn it into a mob fight. This is uh, a Seattle police lieutenant talking about a group walking down the street carrying bats for peaceful reasons. About three hours later, a secondary group of uh, demonstrators showed up and they were uh, carrying baseball bats. That group then marched south uh, on Fifth Avenue towards the headquarters building. And while en route to the SPD headquarters building, the group uh, damaged businesses along the way. They also damaged the old federal courthouse that's on Fifth Avenue. Once the group reached headquarters, they graffitied the headquarters building and then they graffitied the municipal court building, broke all of the lower windows out there. Um, the group then headed back uh, north on 3rd Avenue, all of the while continuing to damage businesses along the way. Um, 
I'll stop right here. I think you get the point. And I think it's pretty clear that that kind of protesting doesn't serve anyone. And it's not just breaking of glass. The violence itself, shootings, has skyrocketed. Cell phones captured the moments just after 1.30 Thursday morning. Someone in a white Kia appears to be out of their vehicle near the Elk statue in downtown Portland. They and others appear to get back in their vehicle, and as they're driving away... Police say they are now looking for the shooter. A license plate captured in the video shows the car registered to someone in the Salem area, but we were not able to track down the owner. Gunfire anywhere in the city concerns me. Um because we're in the business of public safety. Police Chief Chuck Lavelle said this is one of 29 instances of gunfire in Portland in just the last nine days. Whoa! He said cutting the gun violence reduction team when the city defunded part of the police bureau meant the loss of a valuable resource for investigating these shootings. But he's also especially worried about the shooting in the middle of a protest. Yeah, yeah, you know, just randomly firing off a gun like an idiot. It's it's just, it's it's so... It, it's, it, ret- it detracts from the message and it gives the federal government an excuse to come in and and roll the area and not leave until they've successfully done it. And I think what you have here is there's legitimate citizen unrest because a lot of things are screwed up. And then you have a group of people like the old saying goes, you know, the saying some people just want to watch the world burn. And it doesn't take much to aggro the cops or the crowd. And we're talking about this like that's not a reality. We talk about this. It's framed about it's framed as if as if these federal agents came in there and created the violence. But you have people that are in there generally, for the most part, that have legitimate protesting concerns. So it's a very complicated situation. But I want to take you back to a couple of key clips that really kind of made me come around to this thinking is listen to the way this clip frames everything. The city's strong sense of activism has seen largely peaceful protests against racial injustice every night. So the, the past protests that have essentially never gone away since Occupy Wall Street are being described as a strong, a strong, what you call it? Let me play it. The city's strong sense of activism. Strong sense of activism. So it's a strong. So the ongoing protests that have existed for years and have been building, that is just a strong, just a strong sense of activism. The city's strong sense of activism has seen largely peaceful protests against racial injustice every night. But that's simply not true. I'll get to that more. Since the killing of George Floyd more than eight weeks ago. But after President Trump sent in federal forces to protect federal statues, anger has grown and now nightly violence. You see how she frames it as the violence is now arrived because of the federal agents. Well, that's crap. Here is a clip just a few days before the federal agents arrived in town. And if you listen to these business owners, they are already at their breaking point because of the nonstop destruction on a nightly basis. If you haven't been to downtown Portland for a while, it's a mess. You may not realize it, but this is a common sight the morning after a weekend of riots. There's graffiti in many places, but especially on the base that held the Elk statue for more than 100 years and on the outside of the federal courthouse. And there is frustration among business owners struggling to survive after shutting down for coronavirus, then reopening to chaos. 
it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I was patient at first, and I understood why the destruction was happening, but it's still happening, and it's hurting us so bad. Jen Kazi owns the Lotus and Bean Coffee Shop in downtown Portland. She supports the peaceful protests, but not the destruction. Like many owners, she wants action now from city leaders. I'd like people to come back to downtown. And so I would like the leaders to stress to people that downtown is not an unsafe place to be. And I think a lot of people that don't live downtown have this idea that it's just like a battleground down here. Now, um, the irony of this is that windows are boarded up. There are signs that say guards on duty. In fact, things are so boarded up and protected that they have to have signs telling you what businesses are open and which ones are closed because you can't tell by walking by. I think a lot of people that don't live downtown have this idea that it's just like a battleground down here. During the day, it's a ghost town. Part of the ghost town feel is no doubt due to the coronavirus, but there's no missing the blocks and blocks of boarded up storefronts. More boards went up today on the federal courthouse. It's not exactly an inviting image that would draw locals or tourists to visit. I talked to the owner of the pawn shop back there, H&B Loans. He didn't want to go on camera, but he definitely had a lot to say. He feels let down by the city leadership. He said he's been here for 50 years. He's never seen it this bad. He wants them to put an end to the destruction immediately. He says that people are afraid to come downtown. Looking around today, it is pretty empty. At Portland's oldest restaurant, Huber's Cafe, co-owner James Louie told me those who think the destruction is helping the cause are wrong. Those people, they need need to stop. They, If they think they're helping, they're actually hurting. He was the most forceful of the business owners I spoke with today, but echoed a common feeling. Enough. I think, I mean, mainstream Americans, uh, the silent majority, we're, we're, we're actually kind of tired of seeing these um, anarchists destroying our city. And that's before the federal agents arrived. So that's the situation here. But it's being framed by the media as 100% peaceful protests because there are clear slices you can get of the protests that are just people marching for racial injustice or inequality and other issues. It's possible. It really exists. At the other end of it, though, there's also the violence and destruction that's happening that is setting the things, setting the causes back, but also flaming the federal agent fire. It's going to happen more. They're going to come down harder. Like I said, they're both between two hard places. And I think it's it's a leadership issue, but not President Trump's leadership. Trump is who he is, and this was going to be his obvious response to a situation like this. It's a dramatic failure at the local leadership level. And having been here now, both as this was really kicking off, right after George George Floyd was murdered, being away and watching the other states' reaction to what's happening in my home state and having those conversations, people people would see our, our plates. You know, we have Washington plates on Lady Jupes and on our tow vehicle, and it starts a conversation. It takes me a while to fill up nearly 100 gallons of fuel. So you're standing there for quite a while, and it starts conversations, and people want to know what I think about it. People want to tell me what they think about it. And when, when you're outside it, when you're, when you're far removed, it's hard to really appreciate what a failure this is of local leadership. Local leadership who, who wants to set an example on the world stage and wants to play to a certain political crowd. 
Here's Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hartsley getting the crowd really fired up. He forgot that we have the right to seek redress from our government. And she's not the only one. Portland's mayor got quite a bit of play when uh, he was down inside the hot zone of the protests and got gassed himself. Cell phones captured the moments just after 1.30 Thursday morning. Someone in a... Shh, I already played that one. She's Louise. This one. I actually want to see this. Even Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler seemed caught in tear gas after joining the protests himself. You could hear him there at the very beginning. He says, I actually want to see this. So he's down there. He does have security with him. He's wearing a mask. He had given some speeches to mixed reaction. And now he's at the fence that's been set up around the federal building as the protesters begin to try to knock the fence down and start fires. And you can, if you listen carefully, you can hear him say, I actually want to see this. I actually want to see this. Even Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler seemed caught in tear gas after joining the protests himself telling the New York Times that he saw nothing to provoke that kind of response. This is a egregious overreaction on the part of the federal officers. This is not a de-escalation strategy. This is flat out urban warfare. Agents, though, issuing several warnings after protesters breached the wall around the courthouse. It is urban warfare, and this is them on easy mode. This is how the federal government behaves. You see, this is them being delicate. They're not lethal yet. Somebody's eventually going to die, either by accident or by some sort of lethal means. That's the only direction they have to go here. That's what's so scary about the precedent that's being set, set by his failure of leadership. He claims he was in the process of de-escalating the protests, but they went on for nearly 55 days. They went on and on and on. Small business owners were on the brink. The right balance was not struck here. The right balance simply was not struck. And I think you have political interests that are motivating that. You have Trump's political interests that are motivating his style of response. But there's an additional element to these protests that I think is fascinating for 2020. And that is this generation of protester is social media savvy. They appreciate the optics of how things play out on Twitter. They understand how to leverage these platforms in a way that either didn't exist for previous mass protests or at that time the age group was ignorant to the technologies. But not these protesters. They've really got it dialed in. And I've noticed that they have ways to really grab attention. The feds may have met their match when confronted by a woman nicknamed Naked Athena. Jim Murray explains. They're calling her Naked Athena. The stark naked woman saunters right up to armed federal agents in the middle of a tense standoff and strikes a series of poses. It's a surreal contrast. The totally naked woman versus cops covered in full protective gear, gas masks, and helmets. The drama unfolded on the 50th consecutive night of the Battle of Portland. Here, a man rushes over to protect the naked woman with his makeshift shield. 
Federal agents respond by firing pepper balls at the woman's feet. Now everyone wants to know the identity of the woman. Now, it's a little staged, right, because you had a couple of individuals that were wearing padding and had shields, and there were a couple of photographers there to capture the picture. But the imagery is powerful. It's iconic of her sitting there naked on the ground, tear gas and pepper smoke or whatever the hell it is, coming up in front of the cops. You can see them all lined up right there in her naked body. It's brilliant, and it played so well, but not nearly as well as the next move. The next thing that happened, this is just a couple of days ago as I record this, was the Wall of Moms. In Portland, a mostly white city, and these mostly white protesters, and these black mothers, hope that protesters aren't just here to raise their own voices, they hope they're willing to listen to others. We still got some ways to go. We realized through our protest on Monday, and especially tonight, that we still have a big journey ahead of us and that we really need some black leaders in that Wall of Moms group. Here, clashes have raged for days. At night, in the streets surrounding the federal courthouse, they increasingly look like a war zone. Moms are here! And it's the mothers showing up to form walls on the front lines, protesting police brutality and systemic racism. Okay, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, this might be a this this is it reminds me actually the first time I heard that clip it reminded me of how the chop slash Chaz protesters were being sustained by their mom bringing them food for a while and supplies. Their moms were doing caravans of food and supplies. I really don't like getting the parents involved. It's, don't make mom fight your battle. But the optics of it are so powerful. All these moms in yellow, linking arms together, holding flowers. It's the perfect antidote to Trump. It really it really is. And it is about Trump. Trust me. It's all about Trump right now. At the end of the day, it's a lot of that. It's, he's the focus of a lot of that anger. You heard that clip touch on something, though. It's mostly white crowds that are there in, in Portland and in Seattle. It's predominantly white people. And in... In some cases, there are more black individuals on the police force than there are in the crowds. It says something when you're at a Black Lives Matter protest, you have more minorities on the police side than you have in a violent crowd. And you have white people screaming at black officers. You have the biggest nose I've ever seen. This is a Portland cop. What was it like in that capacity in the first few weeks when the fence was up around the Justice Center? I got to see folks that really do want change, like the rest of us, that have been impacted by racism. And then I got to see those people get faded out by people that have no idea what racism is all about. Never experienced racism. They don't even know that the tactics that they are using are the same tactics that were used against my people. And they don't even know their, they don't even know the history. They don't know what they're saying. Coming from someone who graduated from PSU with a history degree, it's actually frightening. You know, they say if you don't know your history, you repeat it and watching people do that to other people. A lot of times someone of color, black, Hispanic, Asian, come up to the fence and directly want to talk to me. Hey, what do you think about George Floyd? What do you think about what happened about this? 
I go up to the fence. Someone white comes up. F the police. Don't talk to him. That was the most bizarre thing because I could see it coming. I even had a young African-American girl uh, tell me, why is it you guys aren't talking to us? I said, honestly, this is now the 20, I think it was 23rd day of doing it. Every time I try to have a conversation with someone that looks like me, someone white comes up and blocks him and tells him not to talk. And then right when I said that, this white girl popped right in front of her. She said, he just said that was going to happen. I said, straight up. I said, you know, I've been called the N-word. She's been called the N-word. Why are you talking to me this way? Why do you feel that she can't speak for herself to me? Why is it that you feel you need to speak for her when we're having a conversation? But then when you go to a gentrified community, and the first, one of the first pictures I saw that of one of the business that was looted was a, a black-owned business, I'm like, they, they, they're not even from here. They don't even know what they're even doing. This is sort of my key issue with the protest is it's it's evolved into this just mob mentality of we're pissed. We want to break some shit and we're not going to stop until Trump's unelected is really kind of what the mentality is there. Some of it is legit. Some of it is people that just want to break stuff. And the way it gets framed in the media and the way it gets framed on social media sets the lens in which everyone is viewing this. I'm going to play that clip again. Listen to the way the media frames this entire thing. This is a, this is just a quintessential example. There's lots of versions of this clip. The city's strong sense of activism has seen largely peaceful protests against racial injustice every night. Now, I played you that clip that was before the feds showed up, and that was at a point when people were beyond the breaking point with this situation. Since the killing of George Floyd more than eight weeks ago, but after President Trump sent in federal forces to protect federal statues, anger has grown and now nightly violence. As if the violence did not exist beforehand, but now it's a Trump issue. So the media won't change. Their narrative is locked in. The protesters, those that want to break things, aren't going to change. Those who want to see general social change, they're going to keep going. They've got more momentum than ever. And President Trump has an election to win. So you tell me how we get out of that one. Oh, and and anything. This is an interesting development, too, that I think is worth touching on, at least here in Seattle. Anything that doesn't really fit the optics that they want, the protesters want put out. Well, they've got a solution for that now. They are running up to the media, standing on public sidewalks, filming people in public, and they are surrounding them with umbrellas and signs and in some cases threatening to smash their cameras. And then we ran into those protesters near 4th and Stewart and this is what happened. Camera! Camera down! Camera down, mother you! So the first thing that happens is black umbrellas go up, they surround the media, then the signs and all of that to sort of isolate them so they can't film anything but umbrellas. And then if the media refuses to put the cameras down, they get violent. So they are controlling the image much in the way that a dictatorship would control the image or an administration, you might say, would control that image. I really don't like where this is going. There's Like I said at the beginning, this is becoming the Kobayashi Maru of situations. There's not a real good fix here. And it will continue to get amped up 
Happening now on our live feeds, taking a look tonight, protesters are once again converging to the federal courthouse in Portland as the actions of federal agents come under fire. In just the last hour, the last 60 minutes or so, Portland police say federal authorities deployed CS tear gas outside the courthouse to disperse the crowd. This is a scene from the tower cam there. And tonight, an Oregon U.S. attorney is opening an investigation into reports of federal officers arresting people in unmarked vans. And the state attorney general announced a lawsuit against multiple federal agencies. It follows six weeks of nightly protests that often end in violent clashes with police. This is going to be a mess. And the, the area of focus, at least I hope, will be this picking up of people, putting them in unmarked, unmarked cars and driving them around, quasi-interrogating them, and then failing to charge them and dropping them off. Nice for the protesters, nothing on their record. But again, federal police agents that are not even supposed to exist, that have been deputized by the Department of Homeland Security, which only was created after 9-11, are swooping into cities, collecting at protesters, putting them in unmarked vans, and doing God knows what with them. That's got to get looked into. But instead of this being put on hold, we're doubling down on it. It's got a name. It's got a surge. After this drive-by shooting outside a funeral left 15 people wounded, Chicago's mayor is cautiously accepting federal help to stop the violence. But Oh, this should be fine. Bring in the cops. Bring in the federal cops. I'm sure they'll work with you, and then when you tell them to leave, I'm sure it'll be no problem. Says it better not look anything like what's been happening in Portland. We are not going to hesitate to take the president to court and stop any unconstitutional actions. Yeah, Lightfoot here, she's got all the tools in the tool set here to make sure that Trump can't do that. In Chicago, there have been at least 116 murders in just the last month, a nearly 200% jump over the same period last year. That is a devastating number. It's going to have to be met with a response. And at a certain point, that response does fall to the federal government. This bloodshed must end. This bloodshed will end. Now, President Trump is sending hundreds of federal agents to Chicago and Albuquerque. These are street agents. They're investigators who will be working uh, to solve murders and to take down the violent gangs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. This is real good. It's going to be fine. This is going to be fine. Department of Homeland Security is a joke. And now they've got untrained police officers. <laughs> I haven't been drinking Ossifer on the streets. And I don't see either side giving. What a weird thing, too, to be happening so close to home. Um, usually the stories like this, they don't happen where you live. Usually they're far away. But this one's happening right here. And you know it's going to play into the election, too. So that's... That's the context I wanted to give this for you. I wanted to give some of, you, some of this background. I see this as a, as a very complex issue because there is real damage happening. We're already on the brink of the darkest recession of our time. And so keeping businesses shut down, also bad. Creating streets, street violence, bad. Affecting social change, good. Setting a precedent of federal cops in our streets deputized by the DHS, very bad. <laughs> this is one of those where we don't know where it's going. We are in the middle of it. So I'll just continue to watch it. And as it develops, I'll report on what I see. I'd love to continue the conversation. You tell me what you think. Unfilter.show slash discord. And I'd also appreciate your support to keep content like this 
that's only biases to report to you. If something changes, or if I change, I evolve my position, I report it back to you. Why don't we end this on a more positive story, though? Something that kind of makes you feel good because it's beautiful outside. You can go out, social distance, and go for a hike, possibly. And like this older gentleman, perhaps if you take the right steps, even if disaster strikes, you'll survive. Back in this country, a hiker who was stranded for 40 hours in the California wilderness is sharing his story. He has video of the entire ordeal after he broke his leg. ABC's Andrew Fujii shows us what happened. Help! Help! Yelling for help was all Robert Ringo says he could do after he broke his leg while hiking alone in California's Joshua Tree National Park. Man, the next thing I knew... I was airborne and I landed right on my left hip. I can't uh, move it for the pain. I can't move myself. Stranded in near 100 degree temperatures with no cell service, the 67 year old says he wanted to record himself, thinking it may help. It's about 4.30, 4.20 on Thursday afternoon. I'm up in, well, if you get this or find it or something, you'll know. An experienced hiker and hunter, Ringo says he planned for just a short walk. He brought two liters of water, but that proved too little. He says he also managed to eat some juniper berries he found on a tree. It's the first time in my life I've ever experienced um, uh, no saliva. (laughs) Before he left, he told his family where he'd be hiking. And after he didn't come home, they called for help. Between the the dehydration and the... um, the uh, you know the heat stroke and heat exhaustion, and I'd just like to say uh, you know I had no idea that I was going to spend 40 hours in the desert on my back. Finally, after nearly two days, on Saturday morning, he heard a search and rescue helicopter above and knew help had arrived. I never got to the point where I thought I'm not going to make this. I just had a confidence and a faith. There you go. There you go. You made it. In th- in part thanks to uh, family alerting authorities. So. Your unfiltered tip of the day is, if you're going to go for a hike, I highly recommend it, but let us know in the Discord. So that way, if you don't show up again in a couple of days, we'll send somebody out to look for you. We'll also need your tracking information, um, probably just to expedite any kind of recovery fees, your banking and routing information. Just put all that there in the Discord. It should be fine. It should be fine. What could go wrong? Sort of like these protests in the federal response. What could go wrong? Maybe there is a peaceful solution to all of it. God, I hope so. If you think you know what it is, let me know. Because I'd love to have a different perspective on this issue. I'd love to get your thoughts. Also, any good clips, information that you can supply, all of that goes great in the Discord. So that's one place to go. Also, if you don't do the Discord thing, you still want to get into the show, unfiltered.com slash contact. That'll send something to my Proton box and uh, secure safe, and I'll check that before the show. That's sort of my system there. All right. That's it for me. I'm recording this on a Sunday evening to ship it off Monday morning to you. Now it's time to go wash some of those bugs off of the Lady Jupe's windshield. I got to collapse the RV production setup because I got to put it all away so that way I can bring the slides in and wash it properly. So I wanted to get this recorded before that process started because that'll be the rest of the afternoon into the evening. It's a lot of rig to wash. (laughs) But you know what? I'll just make a day out of it. Maybe have a cold snack out there, listen to some podcasts, think about the next unfilter. 
All right, well, I'll wrap it up there. I will try to get another unfilter out for you later this week as part of the regular release cycle. I just wanted to do a special here to focus in on something that's pretty important. Thanks so much for tuning to this episode of the Unfilter Program. See you back here next time. Whoop! I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. I do wine because I want to win. Mommy needs a joint.